I don't want to do anything to take away from that. So take your Bibles, please, and turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. I will tell you this. Last week I told Sister Vicki there would not be a part two to last week's message. Well, here it is. And so we're going to hear part two of what are we doing here? And I'm going to just say this at the outset. It's a strange thing that I have said at least one time before that I really hope that no one in this room this morning needs this message. Amen. But if you do, listen closely. Just two verses. They're the last two verses from our text last week. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know why you came to church today, but I do know why you should have come. Okay? And this is very important because today so many people seem to be confused about why we go to church. You see, church attendance is no longer a priority in America. Amen. And sadly and seemingly it's no longer a priority among God's people. Amen. And I think one of the reasons is because we just don't understand the purpose for assembling together in this capacity. This is my opinion, but I think some may view church attendance as just this. Well, we come together to sing a few songs and listen to the preacher rant for a little while, and then we get to go home. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. There was a time when going to church was the norm. It was just what you did on Sunday. Anybody who claimed to be a Christian went to church. Now, only those people who just didn't want to have anything to do with church or with God, or with Christ. They stayed home. But anybody who claimed to be a Christian went to church. But my, how times have changed. And church attendance is not the quote unquote fad of the day today, is it? Someone suggested four reasons why people who call themselves Christians have quit going to church. And I'm going to try to, by way of introduction, share those with you right quickly. And the very first one is what we would call a consumer mentality. A consumer mentality, what do you mean? Well, people today have about the same commitment to the church as they do to the mall. Amen. If you want me to come, have something interesting. Have something that piques my interest. Have something that satisfies me. Do something or have something that will draw me and then I'll come and see what you have to offer. And if it interests me, I may come back again. You know, I think that's one of the reasons that eating meetings and fellowships draw more people than a service like this does. Amen. We can have an eating meeting. We can draw 50, 60 people or more. And then we have a Sunday morning worship service and maybe hopefully have half of about that. It seems that people want to go where there's physical food being served, but they're not too concerned about spiritual food. And I tell you what, we need spiritual food as much, if not more, than physical food. You know what Job said at one point? I'm writing an article on this if I ever get it finished. Job said that he desired the Word of God more than his daily food. 
Job said, I'd rather hear a sermon from the word of God than I'd go, rather go to a fellowship meeting and, and an eating meeting and enjoy that food. And that ought to be the attitude of God's people today. But part of the problem is this. Churches today have spent so much time trying to give people what they are wanting and what they're looking for is that people have come to expect the Lord's churches just to serve them and say, here, what, what are you looking for? We'll do it. If it'll get you to come, we'll do it. And I say, if you can't say trendy and relevant, by the way, I don't know what relevant means anymore today, okay? If you can't be trendy and relevant and hold my shortened attention span and pique my curiosity, then don't look for me to be there. So there's a consumer mentality that affects even God's people. But then here's the second reason. People are privatizing their spirituality. They want a private spirituality. What do you mean by that? They want to reject any kind of authority. We're going to be studying on Sunday nights very soon church authority, the authority that this church has, and this church has authority. We'll see what it is. But they reject any kind of authority in favor of personal rights, what they call personal rights. I want the right to do and believe and live and conduct myself the way I want to without any kind of organization or institution telling me that I need to live a certain way or even the Bible telling me I need to live a certain way or that I need to assemble together. The idea is this. My relationship with Jesus and my spiritual life are more important individually than any kind of corporate body, any kind of corporate life there might be in the church. In short, I don't want somebody else telling me how I ought to think. I don't want somebody else telling me how I ought to live. And I certainly don't want anybody else holding me accountable to a particular lifestyle. Folks, we need the instruction. We need the encouragement. We need the correction. We need confrontation sometimes. We need discipline. We need accountability of other believers. One of the things that may keep us in line sometimes is our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to look at that in just a few moments. But people in the United States have privatized their spirituality to the point where church attendance to them had become less and less necessary. I'll just have my own version of church, myself at my home, and that will be sufficient. Then this one, some folks have been disillusioned with church leadership. And that's sad. What do you mean disillusioned with church leadership? Well, churches, I'm sure, are full of people who in some way have been hurt, whether actually or in their imagination, in their own minds, have been hurt by church leaders. Maybe the pastor didn't do exactly what they thought he should do, or maybe somebody else in the church who had a leadership position didn't do what they thought he should do. But I tell you what has happened. Some have been exposed to false pastors, to false teachers, to false preachers and false leaders who were either unholy in their private life or in their church life or in both. And so they have become disillusioned with anybody who has a leadership position in church. And so they don't trust folks in the ministry. I've run into people like that. They just didn't trust preachers, didn't like preachers. 
because of what some preachers had done and how some preachers had acted. And eventually they get this bitterness toward leadership and toward the man in the pulpit sometimes and they just say, I'm not going back. I don't want to hear that. And then finally, unrealistic expectations. What do you mean unrealistic expectations? Well, I think there are folks who expect a degree of perfection out of the church, which is unrealistic. Amen. Pardon my grammar, but there ain't no such thing as a perfect church. And if there were and you joined it, you'd mess it up because you're not perfect. Right? <laughs> so isn't it wonderful that there are no perfect churches? But there are folks who expect the church to be everything the Bible says it ought to be all of the time without any failures. That leads to a disillusionment. And that will cause people to leave a perfectly good church and wander off somewhere else to another church or to a different church because of this perceived weakness. Somebody made this statement, if you hold any church up to the New Testament, you're going to find weaknesses and you're going to find imperfections. Folks, Bethel's a good church and I love you, but we're not perfect. We don't do everything we ought to do and probably there's some things we do we shouldn't do. But the only thing that gives me any peace in that is that there's no other church in this town that is perfect. I don't care how big or how small they are. They're not perfect because they're made up of imperfect people. Ask yourself these questions. What would the church at Ephesus do? When the Lord said to the church at Ephesus, hey, you're doing good. You, you oppose the, the Nicolaitans and, and false doctrine and you've tried those who said they're apostles or not, but I've got something against you. Because you left first love. And I'm a member of the church at Ephesus. I hear that. And I say, ooh, I don't know. What do I need to do? Where can I go? Because you see, there's only one church in Ephesus. And what if somebody in the church at Ephesus got out of sorts with a brother or sister in Christ in that church, and yet they still wanted to serve the Lord? Where are they going to go to church? Well, I'll go out and start my own. No, you won't. Amen. What about not only Ephesus, what about Corinth? Corinth was in a mess. Here was a church divided over preachers and had so many other problems that they had in that church. Well, what if you're a member of the church at Corinth and Paul writes this letter and he starts telling them all the things that are wrong. By the way, Dr. Vince Havner pointed out, people say, well, let's just love one another. Let's just have all this love. He said, before you get the love, you've got to have the correction. Read the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul spent 12 chapters correcting that church and then in chapter 13 he said, you've got to love one another. If we're going to do like we ought to do, we're going to get the correction made and then we can really love each other the way we ought to love each other. But what if you're a member of the church at Corinth and all this is going on? Ooh, listen to what Paul said. I need to find a new church. Well, there's not a new church to go to. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to stay there in Corinth. You're going to stay there in Ephesus and you're going to pray and you're going to live and you're going to study and you're going to work to make that church better because there is no other church. There were no other options. They couldn't run down to the next in line Baptist church and move their membership down there because things weren't the way they thought they ought to be. And so unrealistic expectations for the Lord's churches. Now, why am I sharing this message? Because again, as I said, I pray that everyone here in this room, no one here in this room needs this message this morning. And I'm sharing it for us as a preventive and I'm sharing it online on the live stream so that, or because people are no longer concerned with regular 
church attendance. Amen. If I go occasionally, it's all right. God intended for us to gather together. Amen. He wouldn't have put these verses in his word. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together if he didn't intend for us to gather together. And he gave us some very definite purposes for coming together, didn't he? First of all, there's exaltation. What is exaltation? It's praising God. We don't meet for social advancement. We don't meet for personal gain. We are here this morning, I pray that we are, to glorify God, Amen. to praise God, to proclaim the excellencies of him who has saved us. That's why we're here this morning. There's more to worship than just praise. But I can say this with confidence. If you don't praise God in a service like this, you got a problem with your worship. Amen. Worship and praise go hand in hand. Hebrews chapter 13. Listen to verse 15. It says this, by him, talking about the Lord Jesus, by him, let, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. When Brother Rick stands up here and says, turn to number whatever, and sing, we ought to all sing. You say, well, I can't sing. That's okay, the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, I'm not calling anybody names, and I don't know this for certain, okay? But here's what I've heard some preachers say. You know it's got to be right if some preacher said it, right? Here's what I've heard some preachers say. The only kind of bird that doesn't sing is a buzzard. Now, I don't know that for sure. And I'm not calling anybody a buzzard, but we ought to sing, that's what the scripture says. Psalm 150 verse 6, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. You got breath this morning? You praise the Lord. That's what we are supposed to do. And we praise him in the midst of the assembly of believers. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise. See, there it is. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. We are to praise God. Listen, don't let God catch you coming to this place this morning without praising him. Amen. He deserves our praise. Then there's exhortation. That's to encourage other believers. We covered that last week, and so we're just going to mention that one and go on. And then there's exposition. What is exposition? It's the presentation of the word of God. I hope you came this morning... Wanting to hear a message from God's word. Amen. Okay? And so that's what we're trying to do this morning. As we said that last week, the writer of Hebrews has shown us that Jesus is our great high priest. And he has opened the way for us to come right before the throne of God and given us access to the Father. And based on that, he writes verses 19 through 25. And we're looking at these last two verses this morning. And we're going to see reasons that we come together or that we ought to come together this morning. And what we're going to see in this message is we have a brother to encourage. We have a church to attend. And we have a Lord to meet. We have a brother to encourage. And again, since we covered this last week, I'm not going to say a whole lot on this subject. But remember, this is the third of three let us statements. I almost just put it in there. This is the third of three heads of lettuce. But this is the third of three let us statements. And here the requirement is very clear. Let us consider one another. As I said last week, this is a mutual responsibility. It does not say, preacher, you encourage everybody and they, nobody else has that responsibility. Deacon, you encourage everybody. Nobody. No, it says, let us 
And that us is all of us. I'm going to be an encouragement to you. You are to be an encouragement to me. And we saw last week that the Christian life is to be a life of love and good works in serving God. We love one another. We love lost people. And we are to live for God. So how do we provoke one another to love and good works? How can we do that? Well, number one, we can do it verbally. We know what verbally is, don't we? Just say yes because you know that. We can do it verbally. Here's what we, we can take scripture and share it with our brothers and sisters. In Christ. Maybe somebody's faltering. Maybe somebody's failing. And we can take the word of God and say, here's what the word of God says. Here's what we need to be doing. You know, part of what I do from this pulpit is try to encourage all of us, not just you. I preach this to myself. I was asked this morning, and I'm not going to say who asked it. But I was asked this morning if I practice preaching the sermon. I said, no, I don't. But by the time I get it prepared, I've gone over it four or five times, you know, just sitting there working at the computer and, and thinking about it. And when I, in fact, when I laid down to go to bed last night, I lay there in bed preaching the message to myself because I've got to get it here first, right? But we can take Scripture and take the Word of God and encourage one another. Listen to what Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 2. In fact, let's just turn back there to Titus chapter 2 for just a moment. And begin in verse 11. And he says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Amen. That's good. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live. Here's how God expects us to live. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Can you share that with someone? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. But then look at what he says to Titus in verse 15. Now I know Titus was a preacher, but any of us can do this. But then he says this, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. And then he says, Do it in such a way that no man will despise you. Present the word of God. Present it with authority. Say, here's what God says. This is not what Brother Jim says. This is what God says. And do it in such a way that people will neither despise nor disregard the Word of God as it is presented. We have a brother to encourage and we need to do it verbally. And it doesn't have to be done in a negative or confrontational way. Look back to 2 Corinthians for just a moment. 2 Corinthians and chapter 1 in 2 Corinthians. And look what he says in verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. That's the idea of encouragement right there. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. He says, may God comfort us. And why do we want God to comfort us? Oh, so man, I can just go out and enjoy life. No. I want God to comfort me. You know why? So I can use that same comfort to comfort you. That's what he's saying. It doesn't have to always be confrontational. And not only do we do it verbally to encourage one another, we do it visually. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 1, and we're not going to turn there, but verses 6 through 8 say this, 
He's talking to the members of this church at Thessalonica about the example they set. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples. That just means examples. To all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. You know what Paul's saying? Hey, you've been out there witnessing. You've been out there preaching the word. You've been living the word. You have been examples to other people. And when we show up and try to witness to them, they already know the Lord. And you're great examples. And listen, examples are powerful tools. But it's hard to push somebody to do something if we're not setting the example. If you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk, right? And then sometimes we may have to use discipline. Sometimes verbal encouragement, even a good visual example won't work. And so sometimes we just have to use what's called church discipline. We'll eventually get to that in our Sunday night studies. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That's talking about correcting someone, someone who's erring, someone who's going away from the Lord, someone who's falling down in their faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. Listen, discipline is not present. If you've ever been a part of a church that had to practice church discipline, you know it's not pleasant. Amen. Remember spurs from last week? Spurs aren't pleasant either, folks, right? Discipline is not present, neither are spurs, but we are commanded to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. And sometimes it requires, I have seen church discipline work. I've seen it work in a good way. By the way, let me just say this about church discipline. Church discipline is not intended to get rid of somebody. Amen. Did you ever hear somebody say, well, they kicked them out of the church? I've heard that phrase. We don't kick anybody out of the church. Even if we have to withdraw fellowship from a member, they're still welcome to come sit under the Word of God, hear the Word of God preached, and hopefully that God would use that Word to convict their hearts to get right with Him and with the church. Okay? Yeah. But you don't kick people out of the church. Okay? <laughs> you know, I, I had to discipline our children from time to time growing up, but I never did it to get them to leave home. I never kicked them out of the family. I said, no, you need to get this right and then you get straightened up and do right and, and then this won't have to happen. We have a brother or sister to encourage folks and it is a requirement from the Lord. And then we have a church to attend. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And to restate the question from last week, since the writer of Hebrews is instructing us to encourage your brother or sister in Christ, how can we do that if we are not regular in our church attendance? Remember why we gather together. The first reason is to worship God individually and as a corporate body. That's the first and foremost. We enjoy the fellowship, but first and foremost is to worship God. And then we are to encourage one another. And you can't do that sitting at home on the couch. Amen. You have to be together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if we only had to be concerned about our own spirituality... In our own relationship with the Lord, there really wouldn't be a great need for assembling together, would there? 
But you see, I'm not just to be concerned about me. You're not to just be concerned about you. We are to be concerned about our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so I want to give you a couple of scenarios right quick to show you why that concern is needed. And the very first one is simple. Here's someone, they attend fairly regularly they, in church. Things are going well for them. They have peace in their relationships. Their marriage is going well. Their finances are okay. They're learning when they come to church from the Word of God. They're learning from Bible study. So things just seem to be all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows for them. You know, it's just everything's wonderful. So they get up Sunday morning and they say, you know, I just don't feel like going to church today. I know I ought to, but I just don't feel like showing up and I'm not going to miss it all that much. And so they just decide not to go. They may even have a great day. Even though they're disobeying God's command to assemble together, they may have what they consider a great day. Here's what they didn't realize. Even though their life was great, there's a brother or sister in Christ whose life is not so great. They're having difficulties in their homes. Maybe they're having difficulties with their children. Maybe it's family problems, family difficulties. Their finances are shot. They don't know what to do about it. They work with somebody that just challenges Christianity at every turn. And they don't know how to answer them. And they've got a family member that's ill. And they're worried about that family member that's ill. And that person woke up this morning and said, I'm going to church today. I need some encouragement. I need some strengthening. And so they show up at church. And they're in desperate need of help. They need answers. And they don't get them. Because the person that they were going to depend upon to help them didn't come to church today. There's a brother or sister in Christ that's just sort of left outside depending on someone else. Or maybe there's a brother or sister in Christ who's been pretty faithful to come to church, but they've gotten away from the Lord. And here's the problem. Their sin is known throughout the community. But they wake up and they say, you know what? I've, I've been going to church. They come out of habit. All right. And so they just show up at church because it's Sunday and that's what I do. But they need to be confronted. They need to be corrected by the Word of God. They need to see that the life they're living is wrong. And they need to get back right with God. And there's one person that can do that. And it's not the preacher. It may not be the deacon, Sunday school teacher, the song great. It might be any of us that could speak a word, that could take the Bible and show them, you, here's what you need to be doing. But that person didn't show up today. And so they go away from church not receiving what they needed because somebody just didn't show up. What about the Sunday school teacher? Sunday school teacher spends the week Studying the Word of God, preparing a lesson, is excited and anxious to present the lesson in Sunday school and gets there and several people just decided they're not coming today and they don't show up for Sunday school. And now that Sunday school teacher begins to wonder, well, you know, it's coming up, I'll just use this, all right, it's coming up time for election of teachers for the coming year and that person says, you know what, they're tired of me and I'm not very effective anyway. I'm just going to resign my position tonight and let them elect somebody else to that position. All because a few people just said, well, we're not, we're not going to go 
today. And yes, I'll include the pastor who has been preparing him. His heart is for the church. His heart is for the Lord's church. His heart is for the Lord. And he has been working and preparing a message, getting it ready, asking God to lay it on his heart. Give him the ability to present it in such a way it would be God honoring. And he prays that way and he prepares that way. And he gets up and looks at a bunch of wood. Carpeted wood, but wood. And he's discouraged because folks decided not to show up today. Somebody said this, and I liked it so much I thought I'd share this with you. If a man's wife keeps cooking delicious meals that he keeps skipping, how long do you think it's going to be before he starts getting a steady diet of hot dogs and tuna fish? Get the point? We need to be in church because our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to be there, and they may need you, and they may need me to encourage them to lift them up, to give them what they need. And sometimes it's a need only you and I can supply. Amen. You know, the sinning brother or sister needs to be confronted. They need to know what the Word of God says. Remember Thessalonica? What was their problem at Thessalonica? Well, they thought they'd missed the day of the Lord. No, the Thessalonians need to know that they've not missed the day of the Lord. The Corinthians needed to be reminded there is a resurrection. And they needed brothers and sisters in Christ to do that. That struggling widow with debts needs to be supported. Amen. She needs to know that people are praying for her. She needs to know that people, somebody who's just all alone in this world needs to know that there are people who love them. Amen. We don't gather here just for us folks. We gather for the glory of God and we gather for the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we come together on a Sunday morning. You don't come to hear, I hope you don't come to hear a performance by the preacher or an example of public speaking by the preacher because if you come to hear that, you're hearing a mighty poor example of public speaking. I had a 92-year-old deacon that amened that one time. I didn't know if he was amening a poor example of public speaking or that's why we... Shouldn't come, you know, but he amended it anyway. But we come for God and we come for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a brother to encourage. We have a church to attend. But listen to this. We have a Lord to meet. We have a Lord to meet. Now we know that when we gather together, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are present here, don't we? You can say amen to that one. Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So we know that the Lord is here, and I pray that we recognize his presence every time we come into these services. Folks, that's what I want more than anything, is for everyone who comes into these services to, to just recognize the presence of the Lord Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in these services. Amen. But I'm not even talking about that in this point in this message. What I mean here is that one of these days our Lord's going to come back and we are going to answer to him at the judgment seat of Christ for how we have encouraged our brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you been an encouragement as a child of God or have you been a discouragement as a child of God? You say, I, I don't know about that preacher. You sure about that? Second Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 10 says, For we must 
all. That's A-L-L. By the way, let's get into a little Greek on that. That word all in the Greek is a word P-A-S, pos. You know what pos means in the Greek? All. You know what all means? All. <laughs> Every one of us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. Listen to this. Whether it be good or bad. There's coming a day of answering to the Lord. Looking into the face of him who saved us. Looking into the eyes of the Lamb of God. Looking into the one who made it possible for us to be in heaven in the first place. And I will say this to you, the day of the Lord is nearer today than it has ever been. Amen. So we tend to judge whether it's the day of the Lord or not by what's going on in America. Just look throughout the world. I understand there was new fighting in Gaza this past week over in Israel. Keep your eyes there. That's the way to really judge what's going on in the world. Just look at what's going on in the Middle East. But we can look at our own nation and we can see the corruption and we can see the crime and we can see the violence and we can see the hatred and the sin that's going on. And these things have always been in the world, but they seem to be increasing in our day. And it tells us the day of the Lord is near. And I prayed a few moments ago that even today Jesus would come back. Wouldn't that be great? We wouldn't have to worry about business meeting tonight. One of these days, some folks, you're familiar with a song by Lanny Wolf called One Day Too Late. Wonderful song. I wish somebody would sing it one of these days. One of these days, some folks that are members of this church are going to show up here and the doors are going to be locked on a Sunday morning and there's not going to be any cars in the parking lot and it's not going to be because we're live streaming only because of COVID. It's going to be because Jesus came back and we're in heaven and even though they're members of the church, they didn't know Christ as Savior, and they're left behind. Amen. And say, preacher, you shouldn't talk that way. Well, I'm sorry. I got to. And what a tragedy it would be for Jesus to return and a brother or sister's life is in disarray because we didn't do anything about it. We let the world have them. You know, that explains why Paul I believe, took such an interest in the churches. Listen to what he said to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. And by the way, folks, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. That's a good jealousy. There's bad jealousy, but that's a good jealousy, all right? But he says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste or as a pure virgin to Christ. It mattered to Paul how they looked before the Lord. And it matters to your pastor how this church looks, first of all before the Lord and secondly before those who may come in here and visit with us or see us out in the world. And that's why I spend so much time exhorting us from God's Word to faithfully serve Him. You get tired of me preaching to you, I told you before, get some lost folks in here, I'll preach to them. Amen. But as long as saved folks are in here, we're going to preach to saved folks. As long as church members are in here, we're going to preach to church members, not to lost people. Yes, I know we have a live stream, and if you're watching by live stream and you're lost, you need to be saved. Are you going to die and go to hell, okay? That's Bible. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And the only answer for 
Sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. We ought to have the same mindset that Paul had for one another. We ought to have this concern for one another, for personal holiness, yes, but for corporate holiness. I want this church to be a holy church before God. I don't care what the world says. How many, I'm not, don't raise your hand, you don't have to do that, but how many read the bulletin article this morning? If you didn't, I'll give you the gist of it. Babe Ruth was at bat one time. You remember Babe Ruth, the Sultan of Swat? Pitch came in, the umpire yelled, strike three, you're out. And Babe Ruth turned around and looked at that umpire and said, there's 40,000 people in the stadium that think that was a ball. And the umpire said, that may be, but mine's the only opinion that counts, you're out. Folks, when it comes to judgment, God's opinion is the only one that matters. I don't care if the world thinks that we're old-fashioned or behind the times or ignorant or whatever the world. Think what you want to think. We're here to serve God. And here's a sad fact today. Everybody wants the church to grow, but few are willing to do what it takes to get the church to grow. You know, we pray and ask God to send visitors, and what we want them is just to wander in off the street. <laughs> And come in and sit down and say, hey, preach to us, preacher. Do you know how likely that is to happen? We have, and I've pointed this out before, but we have a perfect example of how God intended this thing to work. And I hope I don't get in trouble for using names here, but Sister Vicki invited Candy, and Candy was saved, and Mike started coming, and Mike was saved, and Candy knows precious and precious. You know, this is what God intended. Amen. This is what the Lord intended. You know people that other people don't know that need to be under the Word of God. Rarely will it happen that people wander in off the streets. God wants to use us. And I love this Vance Havner quote. It's the pastor's job to fill the pulpit. It's the church's job to fill the building. Amen. Years ago, there was an article entitled, Why Do They Come? Why do people come to church? Over 10,000 people were asked, what is responsible for your coming to Christ in this church? Here's the answers. 2% said I had a special need. 3% said I just walked in. 6%, and I can't believe this, said I like the pastor. <laughs> How about that? 1% said I just visited there. 5% said I liked the Sunday school. A half a percent said I attended a revival service. 3% said I like the programs, but 79% said a friend or relative invited me. Have you ever gone to a church where you didn't know anyone and felt uncomfortable? Or you go with a friend and you feel at least I know one person here. I was thinking today, and I know I'm stretching this out and I didn't mean to, but I was thinking about this today. You know, when someone is a new member or a visitor, I try to give them special attention. You understand that? You understand why? I don't want them to feel alone. I want them to make friends with other church members. And so that's just what we ought to do. We ought to want to walk in love and good works. But we also need to consider how to stimulate one another as well. And we can't do that by forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We're wrapping it up. It's not enough just to come here and just go to church. Come for exaltation. Praise God, we come for exhortation to encourage your brother, sister in Christ. So encourage one another. Amen. Live in such a way that it encourages other people. Give an example that other people can follow. Do it by your words. 
Comfort the hurting. Spare on the lazy. You say, are there lazy believers? They're certainly lazy believers. Build up the weak. Here's a good idea. And then we're going to read one verse of Scripture and we're going to close. But here's a good idea. Make sure when you come to church, Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, make sure when you come to church that you don't leave until you have encouraged a brother or sister in Christ to love and good works. Just one. And you know what's going to happen? We'll all be encouraging one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Now we exhort your brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Again, I hope nobody here this morning needs this message, but I pray that if you do, that you've heard it, not just the words out of the preacher's mouth, but you've heard it as a message from God to speak to our hearts. There's a great need you know, people will come in here sometimes, you know, it's whether, you know, the fire department will come in and they'll do their inspection. One time somebody from the water department came in for some reason and they walk in here and say, well, this is bigger than it looks on the outside. And it is. But if it's bigger than it looks on the outside, that just means it's more work to fill it up, doesn't it? Amen. If we just get all of our people here, we'd be over half full. And then, wouldn't it be great to have to say, well, we've we got to bring in chairs because we have so many visitors. The quickest way to double church attendance is for everybody to invite one person to come for next week and get them to come. <laughs> and then your preacher might be scared to death, that many people. But the Lord wants us here. He wants us encouraging one another. And He wants us praising and worshiping and glorifying Him. Let's do that every time we come.